Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. Today we are discussing episode thirty-six of the story of Minglan or Zhifo Zhifo Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. This drama is set in the Northern Song Dynasty, and we are having an absolute blast discussing the show in this historical backdrop. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. So, in the last two drama episodes, episodes thirty-four and thirty-five, the、uh, playing field of the Song Dynasty completely changed. The last emperor, Song Renzong, passed away, and we have a new guy, Song Yingzong, taking over the throne. The path to the throne was rather bloody,、uh, as two powerful princes that were completely made up, not true to history, but were part of the book that this drama was based on, were killed after vying for the throne. The only royal family relation that could succeed the throne was this Song Yingzong guy, who was aided by none other than our main male lead character Gu Tingye. Episode thirty-six raises the curtain to a new era, which now has Gu Tingye as a powerful and respected ally to the emperor. A completely different environment than when he left the capital several months or even years ago. The timing's a bit fuzzy. We now turn back to our key characters, Gu Tingye, Sheng Minglan, and of course Qi Hong. Qi Hong, we'll talk about first. His wife was murdered off-screen during the coup over the throne. So now he is a widow only after a few months of marriage. So the off-screen part was, of course, in the beginning of the last episode, episode thirty-five. Qi Hong's mother avoided death by pretending to have gone crazy, but was dragged out onto the streets to be seen by the public, which was humiliating for her. And now she is rather shaken. Well, where is Qi Hong's head at right now? He's a not in full mourning attire as I thought he would be. B. He is primarily excited about the fact that with the new emperor, the imperial examinations will take place again in the spring instead of waiting another three years, which means he has another shot to make it. And C. Once he makes it, he wants his parents to help him propose to Minglan. Um. Let's just pause for a moment about that list of priorities. I guess he's not sad about his wife passing at all. He's not wearing any mourning colors, which would be white. I mean, his shirt is like white, but it's like embroidered with, with red. red, which totally is not okay. He's vaguely concerned about his mother's illness, but to him, what's most important now that he has no shackles, he wants to go back to Milan. Listeners, what do you think? The more I analyze this drama, the more I think that Xi Hong has the wrong script. Instead of a handsome young duke, 
He's more like a spiteful damsel or more like your ex who can't let go. This theme will present itself plenty in future episodes, but we see the beginnings of that here. But the best part of episode 36 is right after the scene where we focus on Gu Tingye. And the scene with Gu Tingye is so funny. It's like every person's dream where when you were wronged by people and you hate them with all your heart, but now you're super successful and can rub it in the people who wronged you's faces. Tell me in life, what, you know, what are the things that are more satisfying, right? So what happens? Newly minted top official Gu Tingye returns back to the Gu Manor with a whole military entourage in tow, and he is now a general. He just killed the leader of a coup, saved the late emperor, and helped the new emperor ascend the throne. In Chinese, the term for someone like him right now is called a Hongren, which translates to a red person, or more accurately, someone who is insanely popular and in demand. This is, much to the surprise of his older brother, who is now the current Marquis of Ningyuan, and his stepmother. They're in total shock that Gu Tingye is still alive and a hugely powerful official at that. Remember that these two, the uh, older brother and stepmother, essentially pushed Gu Tingye out of the Gu Manor and said that he was the one that caused his father's death. There was an instance where uh, Gu Tingye returned back home a few episodes back after all of this uh, in order to grab a spear gifted by the emperor himself. It's his prized possession, but at that time, his older brother, so Gu Tingye's older brother, prevented Gu Tingye from taking the spear because his brother said that the spear belonged to the Gu family. At that point, Gu Tingye said, I will come back one day and make you guys give me that spear with both hands. So that's exactly what Gu Tingye here is uh, back to do. He is going to rub it into his brother and his stepmother's faces that uh, he is way better than they expected him to be. Gu Tingye's spear is in the Gu family ancestral hall or shrine, so that's where he heads, and he prays to his ancestors. He has returned triumphant and celebrated. Shortly after, his stepmother and uh, brother come in to see what all the commotion was about. His stepmother, I love her, She's so she is such a great actress, is still trying to, you know, be on Gu Tingye's good side by being rather sweet to him. But Gu Tingye, I love it, is having none of it and calls her out on her fantastic acting. It was she, after all, who spent years setting him up to fail. And Gu Tingye is so funny because he's like, I'm calling you out for all of your fakeness and I'm not, I'm not totally buying any of this anymore. He states that he's here to take the spear, but also that he will inherit the title of Marquis. This is rather a slap in the face to his brother because his brother is still alive and the current Marquis. The type of declaration that Gu Tingye just made means that Gu Tingye is essentially hoping his brother dies soon and without an heir. That's quite harsh. 
But it's not necessarily about his older brother. He is trying to tell his stepmother that I know you did all this in order for me to get out of the picture so that your son, so the third in line, so Gu Tingye's third brother, could have a shot at becoming Marquis, which is his stepmother's plan all along. Gu Tingye is like, nope, I'm not going to allow that. So I am going to be back and going to fight for the title of heir. And Gu Tingye's whole demeanor this entire time is just dripping with sarcasm. But now he has the strength to back it up. And I'm like, yes, his brother and stepmother have no other choice but to acquiesce to his request. We watched Pirates of the Caribbean the other day. It was great. Uh, And to return his spear to him. The background music in this scene is also fantastic. It's such like a, I don't know, like such a sarcastic or funny way to see everyone's uh, expressions. It was nice to see that even though Gu Tingye called her out on her actions towards him, Gu Tingye's stepmother, Qin Da Niangzi, says that at least your younger brother, so the third son of the Marquis, was always true to him. This line is important. Gu Tingye's third brother is, you could say, like a worthless aristocrat. As we've heard, he just was locked up for going to a brothel during the uh, emperor's mourning period. We've talked about mourning periods previously. During this time, one is restricted on certain pleasures, going to brothels, partying, and even marrying are such examples. And this mourning period is in place because the previous emperor just passed away. So there are rather strict uh, restrictions on what people can and cannot do during this mourning period. But the third brother, son of Araki, is like, I'm still going to go party, and was caught. So this guy does these types of things, but he's never conspired against his brother Gu Tingye. That point is one we want to make very clear. After all this back and forth, in the end... Gu Tingye's stepmother daintily gives the spear back to Gu Tingye, where he notes that his stepmother in particular is wasted for not being part of an acting troupe. I don't think we need to reiterate that this is quite the insult. Um, But before Gu Tingye leaves, he's like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should stay for dinner. (laughs) The look on his stepmother's face... (laughs) had me rolling over with laughter. It is so satisfying. But now that Gu Tingye has property and basically a title, he has to turn his attention then to his uh, next endeavor, which is finding a wife. Well, who is this lucky woman? Well, starting from this point, Gu Tingye's primary attention is figuring out how to land him the wife of his dreams. But how will he do that? Well, step one, learn everything about her family and his current competition. So, he questions his best friend, Sheng Changbai, Minglan's older brother, to find out everything about the Sheng family. And step two, provide obstacles so that he has time to go fight enemies and not worry about his competition before he gets back. So let's see how he does that. In the Sheng household, Minglan and the young doctor He Hongwen's relationship is going swimmingly. 
The grandparents on both sides are rather pleased with this potential match, and He Hongwen in particular is rather attentive to Minglan. In previous episodes, he brought her fish, various goodies from home, and even gave her medicine to help her heal her cheek after she was slashed by her sister. Pretty much, they, the two of them, are waiting until the mourning period is over for the previous emperor so that they can set the marriage in motion. But as He Hongwen is leaving the Sheng Manor one day, he is accosted by a young woman who calls him cousin and basically gloms onto him. He doesn't know what to do, so he puts her on his carriage so they can speak privately elsewhere. Xiao Tao, Minglan's maid, hurriedly goes to inform Minglan about this development. Out in a more private area, this woman wearing a black drape cap uh, that completely covers her face straight up asks her cousin, He Hongwen, to take her in as a concubine. Not even as a concubine, perhaps a lowly maid. She just wants to enter his household as a way to survive. Uh, that's a rather bold ask as she knows he's going to be married soon to Sheng Minglan. This woman is crying and kneeling on the ground, hoping that he'll accept. Fortunately or unfortunately, Ming Lan sees this exchange. Who is this woman? As this is another instance where I don't think the drama did a good job of explaining who the heck this person is. Her mother is He Hongwen's mother's sister, so they are cousins. However, the Cao family committed a crime and made some type of mistake that forced all men to serve in the military while all women were sold off. This cousin, her name is Cao Jinxiu, was sold off to be a concubine. Due to the death of the former emperor, it is customary to have a, a period of mass exoneration, which means that people who were punished before were let go. Therefore, this cousin, Cao Jinxiu, was able to be released from her, I guess, punishment. Eh, more exile. just like eh, exile, but more just like she was able to be bought out from her current position and returned to her family. So Cao Jinxiu really has the emperor to thank for her escaping this uh, destitute situation. However, Cao Jinxiu also reveals that she has a tattoo on her face, which essentially means that she has been branded for life. Her life is marked with this tattoo that she was a criminal, or at least was the daughter of a criminal. The only hope of any type of living now is, well, as she says, is to be a part of her cousin's household as a concubine. Minglan, though, seeing the crying Cao Jinxiu is not moved at all. Instead, she's a total boss and lays it out plainly. If He Hongwen wants to marry her, Minglan, then Cao Jinxiu cannot enter into the household in any way, shape, or form. Minglan asks, why can't Cao Jinxiu be married off elsewhere and given a good home? Why does she have to marry He Hongwen? Which is totally fair, right? There are so many other options, but He Hongwen's like, oh, you know, we can maybe leave her in like the external yard, not even bring her into the household. Buddy, nope. nope, nope, nope. <laughs> so Minglan leaves it to He Hongwen. He has to decide whom he wants. 
To the ladies and gentlemen listening, here's another piece of relationship advice that we want to remind ourselves of. While discussing this cousin who's trying to steal her potential husband, Minglan and her grandmother talk about what it means for a long-term marriage. When selecting a partner, you have to see if you can accept the lowest point of that person's character. What is the worst quality trait of a person that you're willing to tolerate? So that's the question that they discuss. For He Hongwen, he's overall a sweet, caring, and attentive person. His worst character trait is none other than being, I would say, too soft or too nice. In Chinese, the word is xin ran, which means soft-hearted. That can be a positive trait or a negative trait. The negative way to look at this is to say that he is mm, weak-willed. He won't be able to stand up for himself and potentially for Minglan. When being threatened by family as he currently is, will he be able to protect Minglan or will he crumple under the pressure? This, I think, is a great way to think about relationships, don't you think? For decades in a relationship, you have to understand what is the other person's lowest point and evaluate for yourself if you're willing to accept that. For some people, one person's lowest point doesn't matter, but for another person, it really is kind of like the uh, the trigger or something that you just cannot accept. But why is Minglan so combative towards this Cao Jinxiu? It's not hard to equate Cao Jinxiu with her hated enemy, Lin Qingshuang, or Mistress Lin, that is now lo- no longer a part of the story. Mistress Lin entered the family, so the Sheng household, by being pitiful and weak and saying she has nowhere to go. And look what became of her entering the household. The entire Sheng family could not rest. Minglan believes Cao Jinxiu could be similar. The more troubling relationship that we'll see in the next episode is that Cao Jinxiu at least grew up with He Hongwen, so they know each other and our family. It would be rather naive to think that He Hongwen would completely separate ties between him and Cao Jinxiu. Uh, and this puts Minglan in a rather tough spot. No matter what, Minglan will have to contend with having these two family members, I guess, fight for each other, fight against each other. That's not something pleasant that she wants to deal with. The other important perspective is that Mistress Lin only saw the Sheng family as an opportunity, whereas Cao Jinxiu saw uh, He Hongwen as her only lifeline. These are two very different circumstances. The former with Mistress Lin is, I would say, like easier to dismiss, or at least I feel like Minglan would have a better way to kind of handle this type of woman, whereas the latter in Cao Jinxiu is solely based on the decision with He Hongwen. There's not a whole lot that Minglan can do. Lastly, something else that Minglan mentions is that just because I'm not, my circumstance is not as bad as this woman, why does it mean that I have to take a step back and give up my position? That is such a great way for anyone in a relationship to think about it. Just because somebody else has a worse circumstance than me, does that, does that mean I necessarily have to give up uh, my expectations of my life to please others? Probably not. 
Fortunately, as Minglan points out, she has a strong family to back her up. Her brother and father are doing well in court. Her sisters marry well. There is nothing to be really afraid of. She has like strong backing. And this is another very interesting piece of monologue that I think is rather new for us. She didn't say this when she was thinking about、uh, potentially marrying the young Duke Ti Hong, but is able to declare this openly when discussing He Hongwen. That's because I would say she knows no matter what she was not able to compete with the likes of the Duke's household. Her family was always going to be many tiers lower. But she is able to compete with the likes of the He family, who are not aristocrats or even、uh, members of court. The other component is that Minglan, I would say, had true affection for Ti Hong. While it's pretty evident here that she is only friendly with He Hongwen, they treat each other rather cordially, but are not madly in love with each other. If Minglan truly cared for He Hongwen, I think she'd be a little bit more upset. As of now, her perspective is more like I just don't want to deal with a messy relationship. Nothing she says indicates she actually cares about He Hongwen as a person beyond that they are friendly with each other, that their grandmothers、uh, are friends with each other. While that's very true from Minglan's side, I do think He Hongwen is. Pretty taken with Minglan, poor guy. Well, the episode ends with a hilarious encounter. Minglan can't fall asleep, so she goes out for a nighttime stroll. It is kind of sad because she wishes that she could live for herself for once, but she doesn't dare hope for it. It's you know life as a shunyu daughter, an,、right. an unfavored daughter in a I guess an okay household.、Mm-hmm. Well, Minglan turns around and sees a woman secretly talking to another man. <gasps> Who is it? Why, none other than Rulan. Minglan hurriedly turns around to walk away, but Rulan like runs after her and stops her and drags her to her place. Once in her room, Rulan accosts Minglan and orders her not to tell anyone. Minglan at first doesn't think much of it. Well, she tells Rulan that she doesn't think much of it, but Rulan drops a bombshell. Who is this man? Why, none other than Wen Yanjing, the same man who was supposed to be engaged to Mo Lan. Well, Minglan immediately believes that this guy's a schemer, but Rulan quickly tells her the truth that Wen Yanjing is a pretty upstanding guy, and all if we like take a look at it. Rulan's in love. This Wen Yanjing guy is the one we met earlier, who picked up Rulan's handkerchief. Now that Minglan is in on Rulan's secret, what will happen next? There seems to be a lot of threads open、uh, right now, and we will find out in episode thirty-seven what is the real plot here. <laughs> Uh, culture and history portion of this podcast episode. 
This drama is probably the first time I've paid attention to seeing a woman having received the punishment of tattooing on her face. In Chinese, the term is qingxing, but in English, it's more or less the punishment of getting a tattoo. And I found out that this is one of the five major punishments for criminals in Chinese history. Uh, this is definitely the first time I've ever heard of there being um, a formal categorization of punishments people received in China. This is one of the lightest ones. The other punishments are rather gruesome, so I won't get into it. All I can say is that, geez, Chinese people were brutal to criminals. Or you could say that ancient China was brutal in general. I would not <laughs> want to time travel to this time period. No, thank you. Tattooing one's face after committing a crime is one of the oldest punishments in Chinese history, spanning thousands of years and only ending uh, in the late Qing Dynasty in whopping 1906 when Emperor Guangxu abolished it. Crazy, right? Like I mentioned, it is one of the lightest major punishments one received, but you are marked for life with the fact that you were a criminal. The tattoo, true to his name, does not come off so everyone is able to see this punishment and basically on your face, as we see with Cao Jinxiu, you are marked with a note saying that you are a criminal and it may say what type of crime you committed. For a society so focused on propriety and shame, this type of mark is humiliating for anyone to have received it, which I guess is why it is so effective. While Cao Jinxiu probably should not come to try to take someone's husband, it is understandable why she feels like she has nowhere to go and is to be pitied. Another piece of history that we'll elaborate a little bit more on is again, the mourning period. We chatted about this earlier, but two main components that impacted um, the story progression in today's episode is that after the passing of the emperor, one, there was a mourning period, which is why Minglan and He Hongwen could not have, uh, I guess, started the rituals for marriage proposal. So he could not, He Hongwen could not go to the Sheng family and request or propose marriage because there is this mourning period. And two is this mass exoneration. Now, we tried to do some research on what are, I guess, the customs during the Song Dynasty after an emperor dies, and it's not fully clear, but in many dramas and in many texts, what happens when an important member of the, uh, I guess, imperial household, this could include the Empress Dowager or the emperor himself when they pass away to have this Tianxia, or when you exonerate most of the criminals, one, it is a good way to bring karma uh, or have some good karma. And B, some emperors have used this as a way to uh, get on the good side of new subjects, particularly when it's a new emperor coming to the throne. That is why in this episode, you also have Cao Jinxiu showing up to bother her cousin. Otherwise, she would still be a uh, concubine somewhere. And with that, let's move on to book differences. First off, the mourning period in the book lasted quite a while, like I think a year. During that period, as Karen mentioned, you couldn't marry, really party, what have you. 
It's not really clear in the drama the exact length, but probably not that long because Ti Hong is already taking or thinking of taking the imperial exams again, and that usually happens in the spring. Well, in the book, Ti Hong's mother, the princess, wasn't really mentioned as to having a large role in the coup or in the death of Ti Hong's wife, as shown in episode 35. In the book, Ping Ning Junju recovered from the coup a little bit differently. The next we see of her is actually a couple months later, so she's not in a daze. She's extremely regretful of her decision to force Ti Hong to marry Jia Cheng Xianzhu. In the book, the Ti family wasn't outright forced to marry her, not like in the drama where everything was laid out. Princess Ping Ning only had a hunch as to what happened to Rong Fei Yan and who had a hand in it. Ti Hong is now a widow, and even as a man, that makes him, in society's eyes, damaged goods. She actually is now willing to propose marriage for Ti Hong to Minglan. Ti Hong doesn't outright ask his mother in the book, but it's actually his parents who suggest this. But alas, nothing comes of it. In the drama, of course, we see Ti Hong asking for permission first, but uh, in both the book and in the drama, a certain someone gets there first. Next up, let's talk about the Cao family. In the book, Grandma Sheng and Ming Lan visit the He family. That is where they first encounter the dreaded cousins or the Cao family. Grandma He, or He Hongwen's grandmother, and matriarch of the He family is very cold towards the Cao family and point blank reveals that the cousin Cao Jinxiu is no longer a virgin and was a concubine to a military official while the family was in exile. It's not mentioned in the book, I believe, if she has a tattoo on her face, so that is actually uh, a big difference between the book and the drama. During this first encounter where Minglan uh, visits the He family, He Hongwen actually wasn't around. So she actually meets the cousins first in the book. The next encounter then is similar to the drama. He Hongwen pays a visit to the Sheng family and the cousins, Hao Jinxiu, basically falls into his arms and laments her situation. She again also tells him she wants to be his concubine, like as is in the drama. The book, though, offers a bit more information about how detestable the Cao family is. Cao Jinxiu is Di Chu, so born from the main wife. Yes, what happened to her was terrible, I won't deny this, but in the book, it is revealed that her Shu Chu sisters, so basically Minglan equivalent, were left behind in their exiled state to stay as concubines, so they were left there to basically rot. No one bothered to save them from their situation. The Cao family? are basically also leeches uh, onto the He family. While in exile, they ask for money. And now that they're back, they're asking for connections for trade, houses, money, and of course, marriage to He Hongwen. Why? Well, because the He family has money and they want to lock that up because no one else will help. The reason why they were exiled is because the Cao family or the... Uh, master of the household got caught for uh, bribery schemes. So they like fully deserved exile. 
it's not like one of those cases where um, it was unjust. The Cao family or the head of the Cao family deserved his punishment. But um, now that they've been exonerated, they want to figure out how to uh, live comfortably again. And of course, the He family is the, the best option they have right now. And that is it for this podcast episode. We saw two people showing who's boss and standing their ground, which is, uh, which was quite satisfying. And in the next episode, we will see what happens with uh, Julian's new uh, romance and uh, how the uh, introduction of this Cao Jinxiu uh, conflict will be resolved. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, as always, you can reach out to us via email or Instagram and Twitter. We will catch you in the next episode. Thank you.